Welcome in to another episode of a Cali Green Monster show coming to you from the Tesla studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California on Tuesday morning, March 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Dean Ryan. I don't know what it was about this morning. I just woke up and you looked outside the window and it just seemed like it was abnormally bright in the morning for not even being six in the morning yet. You know, the sun already seemed to be peeking through. And to me, it just like, you know, it just smelt it in the air. It just made me wonder, oh, my God, when's daylight saving time going to happen again? Spring daylight savings, I always feel like is the worst, you know, spring forward. So now five in the morning is going to actually be six in the morning. So I always feel like that's the shittiest time adjustment. It takes weeks. And I feel like the older I get, the time adjustment just like messes me up even more. You know, it's, it's lovely in the fall when we get an extra hour, but in the spring, I just feel like it's it's just a cruel thing to already add to the just the, the slap in the face that is life sometimes. So it made me wonder, okay, when is daylight savings time happening this year? And sure as shit, this Sunday, March 14th, daylight savings time. So just a heads up, anyone listening to this, <laughs> we're losing an hour of sleep come this weekend. And while I'm on the topic of public service announcements, I'd just like to share an experience I had in the work bathroom yesterday. I'd just like to point out, like, if you're going to go pee-pee or caca at work and there's someone else in the bathroom, can you please wash your fucking hands? Like, I totally understand. Like, hey, I'm not the best at washing my hands after going number one when I'm at home. That's something that my wife and I um, disagree with over. You know, I feel like it's fine at home. So, you know, men, you know, be honest with yourselves. We're not the best sometimes while we're at home unless you're, hey, if you're someone that washes your hands every time, I give yourself a pat on the back. I give you props. But the thing is, I feel like there is almost like a personal, like, code of conduct that if there's someone else in the bathroom, you need to just, at least for appearances, that you at least look like you do it every time because now if i if you're if you're showing off that you don't even wash your hands when i'm in the bathroom you show that little respect for yourself and and i guess me as well then i'm just assuming you don't wash your hands any times even when you take a shit so like i usually make a mental note at my old work when i would see people do that i would always make a mental note like okay don't shake that dude's hand and watch the doorknobs after that dude touches hands because he's probably got e coli all over his fingers so yesterday that happened i was in the middle of washing my hands and it's like this older gentleman that had just used the restroom he just like walked right past the sinks and on the way out and it was definitely one of those moments where i think i was thinking and the thought in my head just came out of my mouth because i just blurted out like oh gross dude and like he just left and it was just like ooh. but like i had mentioned i'm definitely like i i can make note of this dude in the building thank god he works for a different company and i'm like that wasn't just like one of my bosses at work that did that i assume the people i work with aren't a bunch of sick fucks so i shouldn't have to worry about that but that dude that works in the the company right across the way yeah, man, I'm staying away from you, caca, pee-pee fingers. So, yeah, just a PSA, wash your fucking hands in public. And, you know, wash your hands all the time, all right? If my wife is listening to this, I will try to wash my hands more after going number one at home. But, you know, ugh, I can't make promises. That's a hard habit to break, I guess. But, people, 
when you're not at home, when you're not with just your wife, wash your hands. So, so you don't have just random people in the other company thinking you're a sick fuck. Let's move on to sports. For my last couple episodes, they've been very UFC centric. You know, we'll start thinking a Cali Green Monster show as a strictly MMA show. That's not the case. We're gonna lead off the sports show. The sports side of this show today with the big news from the football world the Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott quarterback who had snapped his leg last week saw him playing football he just got re-signed by Dallas to a huge deal four years 160 million dollars 126 million dollars of that is going to be guaranteed money that's huge money if you if you're someone that maybe follows NBA or other sports and not sure if that is a big contract, it is huge. It's the second biggest contract in NFL history behind Patrick Mahomes' like big 10-year, over $400 million deal. And his guaranteed money, $106 million, $26 million, is also second to Patrick Mahomes. He got a $66 million signing bonus, which is the largest signing bonus in NFL history. I think before that, it was Russell Wilson at $65 million. So Dak Prescott, man, good for him. He, you know, a couple years ago, there was rumors of the the contract demands that he was asking for. There was rumors that he was asking for 32 to $33 million a year. And a lot of people were scoffing at that, thinking that he wasn't worth it. When you look at other quarterbacks that were drafted in his draft class, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, they each got broken off for four So Wentz, he got broken off for four years, $128 million by the Eagles. And Jared Goff got four years, $134 million with the Rams. So at the time, people or Dak Prescott was trying to get something similar to that and everyone you know around the league or a majority of people that weren't Cowboys fans were thinking that that was crazy that Dak Prescott was even asking for that but now in retrospect looking at what the Cowboys have to pay him now so versus the 32 to 33 million dollars they might have had to pay him if they signed him two years ago now they're paying him 40 million dollars a year that's you know like I said good for Dak you know, it's only a four-year contract. One of the big hang-ups in these negotiations, apparently, was that Dallas wanted Dak Prescott to sign a five-year contract so that, you know, they can have him under control for an extra year. But I guess Dak and his agent and his people, they only wanted a four-year deal because I guess by the time that four-year deal is up, the NFL's new like TV negotiations and everything will have been settled. So with that big influx of money which you should be expecting with that new nfl tv deal the caps should go up which should mean there's more money to go to the players so that means dak prescott's next deal as long as he keeps playing you know at a high level should theoretically you know break the bank even more so that's one of the things that's just you know i feel like dak won in every aspect of this you know he bet on himself you know he you know, he's kind of always had this perception around the league as kind of like a underdog, someone that isn't getting a fair shake. He was someone that when he did start, you know, he wasn't a highly like, you know, a first or second round quarterback. You know, I think he was a fourth or fifth round quarterback out of Mississippi State this whole time. You know, for the past five years, he's been basically one of the most underpaid, underpaid players in the league, you know, being the quarterback for America's team. 
you know, regardless of whether you agree that the Cowboys are America's team, that's just, you know, that's the nickname for them. You know, they're the richest franchise in the NFL, so they're the richest franchise in American sports, and he's the face of that, and he's been underpaid for that. And so, you know, it's it's he's finally getting his due, he's finally getting his money, and whether you think that he's worth that money or not that's just how it goes in the nfl right now if you're a top 10 quarterback and you're due for money you're probably going to get end up getting signed for you know the biggest contract ever or one of the biggest contracts ever and that's just been the trend of quarterbacks it's just even you know like when matt stafford or matt ryan when these guys became like the highest paid quarterbacks it doesn't necessarily mean they're the best quarterbacks it's just their top quarterbacks they were do some money this is a move that dallas had to make you know in my opinion dak prescott is a top 10 quarterback and to move away from dak prescott would you know it's like what else are you going to do like unless you're going to have a you have a surefire young guy or you could go out and make a move for Russell Wilson unless you can do something like that you know quarterbacks is basically a premium that you can have in the league I heard it was described pretty well by Max Kellerman yesterday in the first take that in the NFL it's not it's a league of have and have nots and it's not necessarily like a big market versus small market. It's teams that have a quarterback and teams that don't have a quarterback. So, you know, at least with Dak Prescott, the Cowboys know they have a guy. It, the question is, is he a guy that can win them games by himself? You know, when he went down with his injury last year, the Cowboys, I believe, were one in three. They ended up winning that game against the Giants after he broke his leg, so they became two and three. But they were one and three. So, yes, Dak Prescott was, you know, throwing for over four hundred yards a game. It was on this crazy pace, and you know, it was very productive. But also keep in mind how he was getting those numbers. Cowboy fans, does this sound familiar over these past few years? How these games go? It's a big game. The Cowboys are favored to win or expected to win the game starts and they go down by 17 or 20 points and the Cowboys spend now the rest of the game just having to play catch up so I don't know if Dak Prescott you know obviously he's very good and not just anybody can put up those numbers even with those with the weapons around you know Andy Dalton stepped in and Andy Dalton's a good quarterback and he had the same weapons as Dak Prescott but he wasn't even putting close up to the numbers that Dak Prescott was doing so obviously Dak Prescott is a special talent but at the same time you know now with this contract he's going to be expected to deliver and there's a lot of people whether it's fair or not but it just kind of comes with the territory of being the quarterback being the quarterback of one of the biggest teams in the country and now being one of the most highest paid quarterbacks is there's going to be the expectation that Dallas needs to win a Super Bowl you know there's some analysts on ESPN that are saying that he needs to win a Super Bowl in the next four years I think that's going to be a pretty big task because if you look at Dallas they weren't a Super Bowl contender this past year. They didn't even make the playoffs, and they really haven't even been in Super Bowl contention over these past few years. You know, Dak Prescott was making little money, uh, you know, the, over his whole career relative to what he should have been making and what he's making now. So if you think that 
Dallas had the capability of putting together a Super Bowl winning team and a team that would be dangerous, it would have been over the past few years. So with the questionable signings of like Zeke and, you know, whether what's your opinion or not on on linebacker Smith or Demarcus Lawrence, like the Cowboys just haven't been a Super Bowl contender, especially considering all the other contenders that there are in the NFC and, you know, on, and it's not even considering the other teams on the AFC. So I think it's going to be a pretty – I'm not there saying that Dallas is a Super Bowl contender. I don't even think Dallas is a guarantee to win the NFC East. You know, they. I think right now the odds are, with Dak now finally re-signing, the odds are at minus like 125 for the Cowboys to win the NFC East. And all the other teams in the NFC East are at like plus 375. And I think the Giants might have been at plus 400 or something like that. And if I'm a betting person at those kind of odds, I wouldn't mind putting money on Washington because I feel like Washington has a great defense. And if they could bring in a half decent quarterback to run that offense, you know, the Washington's got some weapons with Antonio Gibson at running back and, um, Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. So Washington is definitely, you know, a dangerous team in the NFC East. So I don't even think the Cowboys are a guarantee to to win the NFC East. But at the end of the day, this was a move they had to make. Good for Dak. I think this is good for players. I think that, you know, now players who in the future that want to be able to be able to break the bank and you know set a record or be able to get the money you want you can look at Dak Prescott because if you believe in yourself and you believe in your talent and you know especially at quarterback where it's a premium position and those guys get paid as long as you're the number one guy and you're producing you know even with Dak Prescott getting hurt with a you know that's probably as gnarly as an injury you can get like he still got paid so I think that that might be an incentive for players to be like hey like I might be able to willing to, to play another year or two for less money to try to earn more money down the line. So it'll be curious to see the ripple effects of this contract moving forward and, and seeing what other guys get paid and just seeing how the Cowboys, you know, how the how their season's going to turn out and how their team's going to turn out. And, you know, this move also, man, I'm just talking so much about Dak Prescott, but I don't know. I got a lot to say. This move also opens up cap space for the Dallas Cowboys. So if they ended up having to franchise tag him this year, which they would have had to do if they didn't get that deal done yesterday, they would have had a cap hit of $37.7 million. And now that they signed him, it's only a cap hit of $20 million. So now that's opened up more room, hopefully they can improve that defense. Because if they do, if they can revamp that defense, you know, maybe draft a cornerback or improve that secondary and bring in some other, a few other pieces, you know, Dallas is a desirable place. People, you know, big names do go there. So if they can revamp that defense, you know, you never know. They might surprise some people. And also one last thing on Dak Prescott. Next year, he's going to be making $75 million. I don't know how the details of the contract breaks down to where he will only a $20 million cap hit while making $75 million next year, but that's insane. So good for Dak. Good for you, man. You got your money, and yeah. <laughs> Let's see how it works out for the Cowboys next year. 
another piece of free agent news or not free agent news or just player movement transaction in the NFL. This morning, the Patriots traded for left tackle Trent Brown from the Las Vegas Raiders. So Trent Brown was part of, you know, part of the offensive line for the Patriots last Super Bowl winning team. You know, he went and signed like a 40 year, $60 million deal to be part of Las Vegas. Over the past two years, he's missed a lot of time. I think he only played in 20 games over the past two years. So, you know, last year, I think he only played in five dealing with injuries and I think COVID as well. So, the Patriots, all they had to do was trade a 2022 fifth round pick and they were able to bring in Trent Brown and Trent Brown has reconfigured his contract. And now it's only one year, $11 million deal, which will make him a free agent next year. So it's just, I feel like that's such a Patriots move, bringing in a veteran who's due more money, something that would, and then they, they find a way to restructure it for less money. They have, about $66 million in cap space. Yeah, $66 million in cap space. So they have more than enough to, you know, to accommodate Trent Brown's $11 million contract. I think there's something brewing in New England. There's rumors that Jimmy Garoppolo, they might be trying to bring him back in. So, you know, they're trying to bring in some expatriates. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kyle Van Noy the linebacker that just caught cut from Miami Dolphins. I wouldn't be surprised to see him jump up to New England. You've got defensive players who sat out last year for COVID that'll be coming back. You know, got got Dante Dante Hightower. You got Patrick Chung. You've got Marcus Cannon. So you know, New England. You know, they while they wasn't impressive last year, going seven and nine. If they can, you know, bring in a quarterback like Jimmy G, who I think is, I think he's underrated at this point, you know, bring him in, improve that defense. You know, you bring it in Trent Brown, put him in at left tackle. You know, the Patriots are going to be losing Joe Tooney, but, you know, I think that the Patriots got something going. If they can maybe bring in a couple weapons or something, you know, because I still think that. You know, Bill Belichick has the respect in the league, regardless of the narrative, how it's changed with Tom Brady winning winning his seventh Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. You know, Bill Belichick is still one of the best coaches in the NFL. And I think that people, you know, still want to go to New England because I still think it's a place that you can win. It's just, you know, having the right players. And I feel like New England was very hamstrung last year. So, as a Patriots fan, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm talking, you know, hey, I didn't realize I didn't really plan it. But, you know, the Cowboys and Patriots, my two teams, like, <laughs> I bet you a lot of NFL fans probably like, dude, Cali Green Monster Dean Ryan is a piece of shit. He likes the Patriots and the Cowboys. Hey, I can't help who I like. I think he should blame Los Angeles for not having a football team the entire time while I was a child. Then I ended up having to jump on some bandwagons that, hey, I just stayed on till I was an adult. So, hey, I don't think you can blame me. I think you can blame L.A. for bringing the Chargers and the Rams too late. So, yeah, being New England Patriots. Looking forward to next season. Same with the Dallas Cowboys. Going to be good. Moving over to basketball. Some news that happened over the past couple days. It was Blake Griffin, power forward for, you know, he was the power forward for the LA Clippers. That's where he was a big star. He ended up getting moved to Detroit. Spent a couple years in Detroit. Didn't really work out for him there. 
He ended up working out a release. He bought out his contract with Detroit, allowing him to become a free agent. And he, over the past couple of days, he signed with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, so Brooklyn Nets, they already have Kyrie Irving. They already have James Harden. They already have Kevin Durant. They have DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, now they add Blake Griffin to it. So I know that Blake Griffin, you know, it sounds like a big name. You know, when I think of Blake Griffin, you know, I think of his time with the Clippers. I think of him in the slam dunk competition where he jumped over a car. I mean, it wasn't quite over the car, but he jumped over the hood of a car. With But, you know, it was pretty dope. But, you know, so you're thinking of him, explosive, explosive dunks and all that stuff. But I think Jalen Rose on ESPN a couple of days ago brought up that Blake Griffin hasn't even dunked the ball in two years. So, I mean, Blake Griffin is obviously not the Blake Griffin that you're imagining when you think of the name. Good name, not the same player. So I think there's two sides to this. Like, I don't think it's going to be quite like adding someone like a – you know how Chris Bosh was to the big three in Miami like I don't think he's like a star caliber anymore but he's still a really good player and when you look at the Brooklyn Nets roster you know Durant Irving and James Harden require a lot of attention from the defense so technically when Blake Griffin when he if he's on the court with those guys he's technically going to be the fourth option so I think in that case you know, he's really good. I, I, or I mean, I think he'll be good enough to be productive. And I think that's going to make Brooklyn even more dangerous. There's Stephen A. Smith, for example, and there's other NBA analysts that I've been watching over the past couple of days that really feel like Brooklyn is for sure getting out of the East and the favorites to win the NBA title. I'm still not quite there yet, but the Nets also, I think still have flexibility to bring in more people and more moves. So I think the Nets are all in the way that they've been making moves right now. So I do expect them maybe bring in someone else. I mean, if they could bring in another rim protector and another big guy or something to improve that defense, then you might have me kind of switching to the camp of the Nets being the NBA favorites. So, you know, right now I still think the Lakers are the better team. I would still go with Anthony Davis, LeBron, and the rest of the ensemble that they got put together in Los Angeles. But, you know, Brooklyn, they're on their way. You know, earlier back in January when we first started the show and anytime Brooklyn got brought up, it was just I wasn't much of a believer just because I felt like their defense was extremely lacking. But their big three right now is just so damn good. I mean, even without Kevin Durant playing over these past, I think, 10 games, Brooklyn's been rolling. James Harden is just is showing that he's – he's a stud he's not just this party animal and this guy that just is super selfish you know that was put out in houston he's someone that i think just wanted the right cast in the right place and maybe this will wear out in four or five years kind of like it did in houston but right now it seems to be working out and brooklyn seems to be a real contender uh for the nba title all right let's switch out of sports want to talk a little bit about WandaVision's series finale that came out last Friday. So this is Tuesday. So it's been, you know, about four or five days. So consider this a spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. There you go. 
So I've been trying to figure out like the best way to cover this show. And I feel like over the past couple times I've done it, they ended up being long winded, just like summaries. And let's just assume, you know, everything that happened and because you watched the episode. So I'm just going to talk about or bring up some questions or things that I think are left unanswered and things to ponder from the show and things to move forward in the MCU. So, for example, is this the last time we're going to see Agatha Harkness? So after their little battle and Wanda revealed that Westview was basically her layer like she had the runes basically around the entire Westview and as we learned when Agatha first revealed herself to Wanda in in the basement in her basically witch's lair is that you know only the witch who cast the runes can do the magic so I don't know when Wanda did put the runes up because you know obviously it wasn't up the whole time because Agatha's been able to do a lot of magic and all that stuff while in Westview. So, but at some point she was able to take control and she was able to basically trap Agatha in the role of the nosy neighbor. So Wanda's basically almost keeping Agatha as a prisoner. However, at the end, the whole hexagon shrinks and goes away. So Westview returns to normal and that, made me wonder so does that mean Agatha Harkness is is she still under that spell is she just stuck in Westview because the thing is all the normal residents are going to come back and they're all going to go back to their home so you know she's not going to be able to just live at that house with Ralph you know because Ralph probably I assume has a family and so I'm assuming that she's either going to snap out of it and we're probably going to see her again. Wanda even says like before she leaves Agatha, like I'll be seeing you around, you know, you know, kind of maybe implying, yeah, like I'll be seeing you around the town, but since Westview ended, she won't be seeing her around there. So she'll obviously be seeing her around somewhere else. So I think that that's why she'll like, there's still potential for Agatha Harkness to be, kind of like a mentor for Wanda. I was mentioning in the last WandaVision review that I thought that Agatha wasn't going to be the big bad, that she was going to end up being someone who would be a mentor, with the caveat being unless she wanted to absorb Wanda's powers, which she ended up trying to do during that episode. But I do think that now with the way that Wanda completely outplayed her and showed that she's a way more powerful witch, and there was really... At the end of the day, Agatha couldn't do anything. Like, really, she couldn't, like, she thought she was in control, but really wanted it being in control. So I think there might be, there could be a level of respect there. And when we do see her later on, we could see her maybe being an ally, an ally with Wanda. But then also there's kind of sketchiness going with Wanda because Wanda does have that, like, that evil book so that book it's called the dark hold and from what i've gathered from this book or what it is in the marvel universe it sounds almost like the ring of power from lord of the rings so there's this dude or this like this evil elder god he's considered the the first master of dark arts his name's called kathan and i guess when he got banished he put all of his evil magic and everything into this book and so it basically has the power to corrupt 
anyone that reads it and tries to use magic from it. So that's why it's kind of sketchy now that Wanda, who's arguably the most powerful Avenger and super power or being on Earth, now she's, you know, reading this book. Because I guess, like, read, like, you know, with the lore of Marvel and everything, is that by reading this book, it gives the potential to bring this Cathan character back to life and ultimately ending the world. So, I mean, that was one of the things that Agatha was mentioning to Wanda is that it's her destiny as the Scarlet Witch to bring about the end of the world. So if that's the prophecy, if she is the Scarlet Witch, which she obviously is, she's even rocking all the outfits now. And then we see in the extra scene how she's, you know, flipping through the, looks like she's studying this Darkhold book. So I don't know if Agatha now is going to show up and try to now help her in the dark arts. So I think Wanda, even though she's, you know, good natured and, you know, seems to be that she got over, you know, the grieving of vision. I think that there's still some ambiguity in her character. And I still think that there's some sketchiness that she could bring to the MCU with this Darkhold. And we might be seeing an appearance from that Cathan. I don't know if he's going to end up being like the next Thanos or if he ends up being the next bad guy for uh, Doctor Strange. But I think that that's what this book is probably definitely leading towards. Another thing is where's white vision so the evil vision showed up he was very cold tried killing wanda then you know wanda's vision shows up and they have this epic fight and basically the wanda's vision starts like logicking the fuck out of the white vision and long story short gets out of the white vision that he's programmed to kill the vision or destroy the vision and then wanda's vision basically implants like the memories of you know what happened like vision and everything that happened and in all the marvel movies and everything so then the white vision gets the realization that he himself is vision and it almost looks like he had just like yeah it was just like a moment there and his eyes turned to normal's vision eyes so he goes from that blank cold blue blank stare from that you know that he was with you know, having no soul or whatever to having this understanding that he's vision and then he just takes off. So we don't know if he's going to go destroy himself because he's programmed to destroy the vision or if now that he has almost like a conscience and realizing that he is vision and having the memories, is he just going off and having self-reflection and trying to find himself? And, you know, maybe that's what we're how we're going to see vision in the future. Maybe he's going to come back and you know, because if he has all the memories, maybe now it's just a matter of kind of building that his emotional or building his personality or just building it back up into the body. So it'll be kind of curious to see what's end up happening with Vision, you know, when when Wanda and Vision had their like emotional goodbye when the hexagon was closing. There was definitely kind of like a Vision almost told her like, we've said goodbye before and you know, I'm here now. So it's like there is implication keeping that door open, that vision will come back. And I do think that if I had to put my money in a basket for how I think vision will come back, I think that that white vision will come back. You know, I don't know either 
I don't know if his pigment will come back as red, but I think he'll come back with the consciousness of the past vision, or at least as close enough as you can come back with like being the same thing since he'll have the memories. So I definitely don't think it's the last we've seen of white vision or just vision in general. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about it was just the ending credit scene with Monica Rambo and the scroll, like a making an appearance saying that, you know, his boss or someone wants to meet her and just point it up to the space. And, you know, one of the whole things about one of the only reasons I even started covering the show, like, I think I started covering the show, like after episode four was because I just had the I had seen an interview with Elizabeth Olsen and she was talking about how the end of WandaVision was going to have this epic like Luke Skywalker moment showing up at the end of the Mandalorian. And I was just racking my brain about who could be the Luke Skywalker reveal, who can make us geek out and just have this epic moment. You know, and you know, I threw out Doctor Strange like, "Oh, maybe we bring Tony Stark back." And I thought the whole thing was building towards Professor X and the X-Men showing up for episodes. I was just like, dude, he's still going to come back. Like when when Evan Peters showed up, it was just like, oh shit, they're for sure bringing the X-Men back. It's probably a multiverse or something. But then one of the days I just kind of threw to my wife, I was like, oh man, is it going to be something lame like Doctor or Captain Marvel showing up? And Captain Marvel I thought was one of the most boring movies of the, you know, the MCU timeline. I thought she's just she's extremely overpowered. You know, even in Endgame, it's like when things are going bad, and oh, it's, she just shows up and just blows up Thanos' ship like no big deal, and makes almost all the other Avengers look irrelevant. So it was just like, ah, oh, please don't just end up being a buildup for Captain Marvel. But you know, with Monica Rambo looking her up and like on Wikipedia, finding out that in the comic books she ends up being the second Captain Marvel. So. You know, it just kind of felt like, okay, that's probably what's going to be the, the Skywalker moment. So I don't know if that's what she was talking about in the interview. But eh, I just thought it was kind of like like a wet fart. Like, God, oh, whatever. But maybe you Captain Marvel fans out there were pretty stoked about it. I still have got to watch the the latest Spider-Man. So from what I read, I think that there's a scroll appearance there. And, you know, so I... I might be able to have a better opinion there. So, but at the end of the day, I thought that was kind of lame. I think Professor X would have way dope. So, hey, Marvel, get your boy the Cali Green Monster in there. I haven't read the comic books, and I don't really know much of the lore, but I could just randomly throw some hot takes like, hey, you know what? What if Wolverine showed up? And, I mean, it'll just be like, I'm, I'll be that annoying guy that just keeps saying, like, I think the X-Men should show up. I'm like, Dean, no, we're not doing the X-Men. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what about Blade? I'm like, yeah, so, you know, Blade would be dope. I know Blade's going to be coming to the MCU, so, you know, maybe with, you know, that's something that could be happening because when I was reading about the Darkhold, I guess, like, with that, you know, it's dark magic, and from what I've read is that, that that book has, has can bring werewolves and vampires into the world or whatever. So maybe Wanda's gonna bring some vampires in the world, and we need Blade to hunt those motherfuckers down. So, okay. I mean, at this point now, I'm just like sitting there, just being like, "Oh, what about this? What about that?" And I could do this like all fucking morning, but I won't. So with that, this has been a Cali Green Monster show. I appreciate everyone that's taken the time to listen to this. 
head over to the Facebook page, like, interact with whatever I post up there. You know, sometimes I post some funny memes, so, you know, you can go interact there. Go over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. But, yeah, I've been your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Peace.